0: to stories from the circuit with me, Adam Morrison Jones. is the interview with trev and simon it was an absolute pleasure to sit down and talk to two icons of british television i knew them g- growing up watching live and kicking and watching going live and they always used to make me laugh as a young lad and you know what they still made me laugh during this interview here you go <music> as well and it's just great to have you two on. I'm just really... No, you're welcome. Oh, no,
1: I feel like I owed you because we sort of kind of, me and Evan kind of jumped in on your big night. The am kind of like <laughs> <I can't laughs> my big night. So come on and build
0: your big, big DJ karaoke night. Uh, I'll still have flashbacks to DJ in those karaoke nights. It was good fun. I really enjoyed them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I think the highlight for me on the end of like those kids that there one night there's about 150 people doing a conga, and like there's nothing better than like a conga, especially like when it's young people and they understand the conga. That's that's the best feeling in the world, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, like, a young conga.
2: Ongar Youth Centre. A lot of places have changed their hours and services temporarily,
0: what? so you might want what to is check this? with them. Sorry, something's just popped what up. Is that? It's just that. Uh, <laughs> it's Somebody come up to tell me about the Conga Youth Centre. That was. Uh, sorry, lads. <laughs> we know it's changed its hours, but the Conga Youth Centre is still there.
1: Oh. I
2: have a feeling tremendous. The, best. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: the the highlight of being a holiday park entertainer was taking people out the fire door and then just closing the fire door and running away. And you can get <laughs> away with it as well. It's just the look of them going, oh, the conga's over. But, ah, uh, <laughs> Happy yeah. days. But yeah, yeah, I, which holiday park was that? I was all over the place. I was at Butlin's, Bognor Regis for six years. Oh, yeah. uh, then I was for John Fowler's all over... Cornwall uh, Devon. We did a we did a yeah, we did a we did a, a live
2: event, one of these Guilty Pleasures events uh button Regis. Oh nice. Is that the Botner
0: Regis one?
2: Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. how long ago were you there, Adam? I I left
0: in two thousand and thirteen, so I was there for
2: So so with, with, was this the kind of quite modern one where they had like the, the 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 flats looked like they were built in Yeah, a, yeah, yeah.
0: It, it didn't look but like a the buttons. They,
2: yeah, 'cause they put us they put us up in the top of this ship thing
0: with <laughs> these big ship like balconies. It it's so, great. Never it, been so excited in my life. It's great. there's it, just no better. Well, like you get so surprised at the standard of like a Butlins kind of. Now it's. it's have you seen any yeah. of their Shine On weekends, which are basically India mod rock? It's. Yeah,
3: I mean I've seen them. The bills.
0: Yeah. Yes. It was like Johnny Marr and I can't remember Johnny Marr the beat and madness, and you're thinking, how yeah. how have you got that? Yeah. yeah. Ten uh, years ago, I'm congering around, taking them out of the fire exit. Do you know what uh, I mean? Uh, What's I... happened there?
2: It's a real, <laughs> I, honestly, then having, having that idea, whoever came up with that idea as a way of basically filling the place out of season. I mean, it was genius. Oh, I genius. Was Yeah, very good. I to know. be honest, though, in.
0: The Nutty Walk is quite similar, really, you know, yeah. I think there's a crossover. It really is. It's kind of like, it's the evolution of the conga, isn't it? It gets to that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. You've learnt those skills just taking it yeah, out yeah, The conga is one step before. One step before. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> one step before. By the way, have we started? I think so. This is better than any questions I'm going to ask you, so... Oh, wow. I do have some real questions. Uh, And the first one is, how did you guys first meet? it's
2: you know what? We get asked that question so much, nobody to this day has ever asked us how did you two guys
0: meet for the second time. so was the first time, isn't it? How did you guys oh, meet the for the second time? time? <laughs> how did you meet for the 17th time? <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's, it's such a weird question, isn't it? How did you meet for the first time? Because the first time is never the decent meeting, is it? It's usually the second exactly, time.
2: yeah. I think the first, the first proper meeting was most probably about the fourth. Yeah. Oh, the first, I
1: think the first time we met, somebody most probably said, oh, um, this is Trevor." someone said, oh, this is Simon, and we'd have gone, oh, oh yeah, and then that would have been it. Yeah. And think, <laughs> I, I mean, I'd I, have been I, no. I'd be nervous. I'd have be been nervous of Simon anyway, because he, he, he looked like, when I first met him, he was very much a kind of, um, well, what do you call yourself? Two-gazer, something like that. I mean, kind of you kind of had young, foggy. funky uh, yeah. So he, he was kind of wearing a lot of tweed and cardigans yeah. and um,
2: sort of uh, tweed overcoat uh, tie, shirt and tie. Uh, but, but, uh, and I was kind of slightly what? in what? That was a kind of hate so- himself yeah, 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 like, you. You really had the wrong idea of what kind of what, kind of, uh, what tribe of people to be frightened of. To be frightened of. Now, if you said I'm dressed like a kind of, uh, hell's angel, no. or a skinhead, that no. makes more sense, we're not shit No, because no, it's the arty intellect that I'm scared, of. see, that's, that's, that's where the fear was, that you knew too much about stuff. Oh, God. Whereas me, it was a kind of existential fear. Yeah, because oh. I came out of Southampton as an 80s soul boy, and I had this kind of, like, silly haircut, that was we bit like, um, just, most of it fell in front of one eye, so i kind of looked only out of one eye most of the time. Uh, and I wore a lot of burgundy and grey, and so I had a slightly different kind of look. I soon changed. But, uh, I think, so that's how, that's going off appearances, obviously. Well, when when to, uh, to be fair, though, and going back, so when we first met, actually, we were a year apart at university. So i had yeah. been at, at university for one year, when Trent joined. So Trent's saying, oh, I soon changed. Well, actually... Trent never saw me when I first came to university. I
3: don't
2: think look, you know. So I think I think when I first came to university I most probably didn't have the shoegasing look. I mean I can't remember what right? I most probably
0: back then would have still been in my faux suede and fur coat. Oh, that's a good look. Well, <laughs> yeah, that sounds good as well. Yeah, see, yeah, you always have some
2: style. And then I had a Sherlock Holmes kind of big, check, sort of weird woolly coat. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes, one of those parts it was like a coat that had a cane attached to it. Do you know the I Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, amazing. Wow.
0: That's
1: amazing. You know, just one of those coats with the cape
0: that you wear. <laughs> we There's still enough of them now. still
1: unloved. Wow. So by the time I met Simon though, I guess he was full on Joy Division and I sadly looked a
0: bit level forty oh no it does I I love that era like the cure of my favourite band of all time so anything from that time uh
2: For the pantomime, I think. Oh. We we were both doing drama, we were drama students at Manchester University, and uh part of the course was to do a community pantomime for for the community. it was a not a traditional pantomime, I can't remember what it was called, can you Simon or what the story was? Uh, no. I mean yeah. I can remember the parts we played and that's all. Yeah, so for whatever reason, whatever Back to it. It was something to do with robbers. Okay. The robbers of somewhere, right? The robbers of a... cardamom. The cardamom. Yeah, yeah, the robbers of Cardamom. <laughs> what? <laughs> that famous <laughs> pantomime. The robbers, the, the isn't Cardamom some kind of herb or spice? I think this is Cardamom. We are the robbers of Cardamom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that went, it was all done in the little kind of performance-like studio that we that we were lucky to have as the a converted old chapel in the middle of these modern buildings. Um, and obviously, their local community centres and youth clubs would bring kids in yeah. and, and they would uh, they would in, enjoy the Robinson Cardinal. And Simon played um, a grocer uh, who sold meat and potato pies, is that correct? As yes. as I yes. remember. Yeah, yeah. Holland's meat and potato pies. Of course. Which, a um, which, um, which, uh, little sidetrack, I'm currently reading um, John Cooper Clark. Autobiography and he's a local lad from my area, he's from Salford. And he talks about Holland's meat and potato pies. And he talks about how when the rules changed, when they were actually they were take taken to task and they were made to change the name to Holland's Potato and Meat Pies. Potato and Meat. But anyone who really cares
1: still calls them meat and potato pies. Absolutely. <laughs> But why the didn't they ever mention the pastry? Why is it meat yeah. and potato and pastry, or pastry and potato and meat? You
2: know, that was that was more of the domain of. Was-
0: That's a way forward. That level 42 gold goods
2: kind of
3: People have asked us, when did you first meet? I can't think of the last time we talked about the Robson
2: Garden God. That's what's nice. So, and I don't know why, but it, it, my part in it was uh, to be a squirrel on a skateboard. So um, I had a squirrel costume, and I rode a skateboard across the stage. That was it. I don't think I did anything else. It just well, it just happened for a few seconds. And Simon would come out of his shop and say something about mean potato pies, and Pimito, and that was it. Uh, so...
0: you remember though isn't it when you start off and you just do something so ridiculous but at the same time it's just it's about the fun there's no pressure there's nothing there's just you're just in the moment that was my first experience of a drama drama kind of student performance i hadn't done anything really well i did obviously i was prepared to dress up as a squirrel uh, it makes me it makes me want to jump ahead a bit but it just also makes me think that If that's how we met, and I could could, go through a load of stuff here, but it it led to us doing more things together, and it led to us also wanting to do comedy together. And the venue that we did the pantomime
2: in, which belonged to the drama department, it was called called the Stephen Joseph Studio, and it was a converted chapel. It was like this small church, and they converted it. But they used to have weekly events every Monday night, you could put on experimental pieces. And that's when me and Trev started doing more experimental comedy, some kind of quite way out stuff every Monday night, and and, and I'm just thinking ahead, because that also makes me think that at some point, if it suits your agenda, we can talk about when we mail the name,
1: No, we we can talk about it all. Ben
2: Elton saw us there. Yeah. Uh, it was a very exciting time because uh,
3: Manchester University Drama Department was, was literally the home of the young ones, really. Oh, because, wow. Um, because uh, Ben Elton and Rick Mel were both students
1: there. Um, and Aid, And Aid as well, yeah. It was yeah. he? I can't Were they all three students? Yeah, Lisa yeah. Lisa Mayer was the, the writer and, and girl, girlfriend, partner of Rick then, but was also the daughter of one of the tutors. Um, so when we arrived, um, there was this quite big excitement because suddenly The Young Ones was on TV and um, the, one of the tutors, David Mayer,
3: uh, obviously, you know, was was very close to the whole project. Um, so he, he used to record um, videotapes of The Young Ones for us to watch because Simon and I were showing an interest in, yeah. in comedy and alternative and when, when comedy. When Trev says, oh, see, literally, oh, he recorded them just for me, Trev, which is really, was so good it's It was very... Uh, very supportive of everything
2: we were doing, comedy-wise. Um, and going back to The Young Ones and David Mayer, he, when when they pitched The Young Ones to the BBC, the BBC were having none of it. And actually, this is right, they actually went to David Mayer as an academic, and he wrote an academic paper for the BBC in support of why they should make The Young Ones. That's amazing. And, and that's with it. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And so he was, our, he was our kind of mentor then, really. So whenever we were doing this muck about comedy stuff on a Monday night, he'd come along and give us bits of advice. And uh, it, it didn't always go down well with me and Simon because, you know, we were just trying to do... I suppose we were trying to take alternative comedy a little bit further. We were
1: fusing our, our our kind of comedy that we'd grown up with, which was sort of Monty Python and Morecambe and Wise yeah. and stuff like that. But we were fusing it together to then bring in the new alternative style perhaps of the young ones and all that kind of thing and we were just jump in ahead a little bit more so it was quite surreal the sort of stuff we were doing and I remember David Mayer saying to us once that we were doing comedy that was like a custard pie fight that kind of just comes straight to the fight there was no build-up and he said what do you do you've got to have a build-up he said one person throws a custard pie and a little bit goes on someone's face and so they get a bit angry and they throw it back and then that hits somebody else and then they join in and by the end of it you built up to this massive fight Whereas we would come to the chase to
2: some <laughs> well, do you, know, do you know what? This, this is really interesting, because I was reading an interview recently with Richard Curtis. Yeah. And they were talking about writing Blackadder. And he was talking about how with Ben Elton, and whenever they had Roman Atkinson doing some simile, it would always been one, two, three. Because, yeah. you know, the rule of three in comedy, your joke comes on the third one. You go da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da da and that's the laugh. And they said, why? And, and they started doing that back then, like I know, where they said, let's just cut to three. And I and think, <laughs> like, it's good to know those rules and it's good to know why they exist. Yeah. But, but it's also nice sometimes to
0: then... Cut them out or jump ahead or. Definitely. When you say about advice David Mayer gave to us, one piece of advice he gave to me, which to this day I've never understood really,
3: he said, Simon, you always duck away from the joke. <laughs> so, I remember that. I mean. No, it's odd, isn't it? Because I think that's, you know, as long as I've known you, Simon, you've always.
0: Go for the joke full on really. You know, yeah, I, I would have said that we different. wish you had ducked away from it, but no,
3: you've just gone for it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's I suppose actually this might be to give you an example of a joke, this may be the kind of thing it means
2: about ducking away from a the joke. There's been a, a meme that's gone around every pancake Tuesday on Facebook and Twitter and everything, where people go, Oh my goodness, it's Pancake Day I didn't realise what with lockdown is suddenly crept up on me. <laughs> you see, when they make this joke, <laughs> that's an existing thing. And that's been going on pre-lockdown. People go, oh, it's suddenly crept up on me. I'm
1: not really doing it, I've so just been it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: every Pancake Tuesday, yeah. and I was more clear this time, but this is me ducking away from the joke, is I put on Facebook, oh God, it's packet Tuesday. I hadn't realised what well, with lockdown and everything, it seems to have just sneaked up on me. That's me ducking away from a joke. I like that. <laughs> but, I, but I then said, and this time around I was more explicit because other years I've not done this, and I've just put in brackets, I know. I'll be angry if you leave a comment. And of course, I still get comments where people go like, Oh, it correct
1: upon me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you see that's why I was that's why I was scared of you when I first saw you and you joined the vision <laughs> outfit. I I knew that you were gonna catch me out somehow, you were gonna set me up for a joke and make me look stupid. I just knew.
0: Oh. But have I yeah. Well, firstly the question is Have I ever done that? And if the answer is no, then you could say I'm playing a long game. For <laughs> so that the one time. Is, yeah, the thing is, I feel I'll never know. <laughs> it's been
2: going on for 40 years, and you know, everyone's having a good old laugh. Still, like, smiling. Imagine, imagine where uh, and uh, this is big grimness because we have to imagine a scenario where you die ahead of me, Trev. But imagine that at uh, your funeral, when I eventually go, that's a will show him. And that's forty. Yeah.
0: That's a lot um, of effort to for a joke. I love it. <laughs> I love
2: forty space. years though. Forty years. I could go to Rick and Aid. So, you know, you can't really make jokes, or, you know, it feels wrong that you should make jokes about people dying. And one of the things that Rick and Ade used to do, which always made me laugh, but it was really quite outrageous, is if there was ever an interview with them, where one was there and the other wasn't. Yeah. And they said, so for example, um, for the sake of decency's sake, I'm going to switch this around, if they were interviewing Rick, and I think it was Rick actually first, didn't it?
0: And they go, oh, so where's A tonight? It would just go, oh, didn't you hear? He died. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then people would be left going, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and they're just carrying on with the interview. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I met Ben Alton about two years ago, randomly, in WH Smith's in Canterbury, looking at notebooks. And I, Had you planned to, or was it, but it was accidental? It was accidental, and no. I, I just said, are you Ben Alton?" And he went, yes, I am. And for some reason, I got really <laughs> sentimental about it. went, thank you so much for the young one, you, Mr Elton and then walked off. He oh, yeah, it, it was just so nice. It was just, which is always nice when your heroes turn out to be nice. That's it. Yeah, There's yeah, no better yeah, feeling yeah. than that. And he it was
1: really he was because he's, 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 he's a, his character on in Friday Night Live or whatever it was was always quite embracing, wasn't yeah. it? And I think he did wind people up a little bit. But actually he was he was really nice and very supportive of us. Him and Rick Bell were, were very supportive. He in fact um uh, well, well, there's a few stories around him, but Rick Mail uh, actually gave us the quote
3: that we were his favourite act for our first Edinburgh show. So we were able to go up to Edinburgh for wow. our first sort of time, and underneath we could say my favourite act, Rick Mail. Which was, really, weird. we were excited about that. But then we walked around and there were a few shows and there was like, my favourite band, Rick Mail.
2: My favourite Rick Bell. And he pretty much said it to anyone who he bumps into along the way, really. But, you'd, the shop, you'd go past shop and then you go shop and you go, my favourite cheese, Rick <laughs> uh, uh, Around about that same time, we'd, we, we, obviously they'd, they were a few years ahead of us in Manchester, but yeah. um, Ben Elton was in his fourth year. He did, a, he did an MA oh, when no. I was in my first year, so part of that meant that he taught me as well. But there was when, when Rick was there, they must have been visiting for a few days, because somehow or other, after initially meeting them, they invited me back to someone's house. So I went back to this house with Rick and Ben and a couple of other of their friends. And then I was just kind of, I was, I was like, eighteen. I was just a student, nineteen most probably, because I was a both there. And I was kind of a bit in awe of them. And I was having a drink or whatever. And they started playing cards, and they got me playing cards, and I didn't. I can't even remember what the game was. It was rubbish. But then they started betting as well, and I remember kind of taking part with like ten p's or fifty p's and then there was a point when Rick just went oh let's make this serious and started putting down five pound notes twenty pound yeah. notes Bearing in mind this is what about nineteen eighty two something like that so you know this was a lot of money and I just went oh no I can't do all of that and anyway I realised I was getting out of my neck and then there was a point where I said I've got to go now I've got to get home and this is student life I had no idea what I, where I was and I had no idea how I was going to get home and Ben said to me, when, how are you going to get home? And I went, oh, bro, I don't know. Yeah. And Ben was so sweet because he just went like, let me get you a taxi, let me pay for a taxi. And he, he insisted, I, I was a stupid student, so I just, I wouldn't take it from him. I said, no, 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 I'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. And I somehow, I got outside because it was pouring down with rain. <laughs> and all the way up. God knows how long it took me to walk home. <laughs> but he was so sweet that he would have, you know, it, it, almost, it was almost like fatherly, wanting wanted to make sure I got home safely.
0: Oh, that's lovely. It's oh, just... Sorry,
2: not very
1: funny,
0: the end to that story. No, no, th- <laughs> these are the
1: things. No, it's away from the joke there. No, no, <laughs> nice because you know, you know he would have helped you out because even if you'd have had to have got the train or something, he'd have made sure that he'd got you a double seat and everything. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Now, for anyone listening, that is a reference to, Well, Trev, do the routine. God. Even Fender was one of his famous routines was the double C, getting the double C on the train. And it was busy, and you would help move really your way onto the train, and you yeah. you get down there, and you
1: got double C, double C, go oh. and get a double C, and you build it up so it sounds like the rhythm of a train. Go double C, double C, go <laughs> on, get a double,
0: C, double C, double C, go again, <laughs> double C. Uh, that's all I remember, but it was a big big deal, wasn't it? <laughs> Anyway, we've dealt with one question. This, this is the best way to be. It's perfect. Otherwise, it's just like, and when did you decide you wanted to do comedy? It just, no, no. it doesn't flow as much. But what's been the best yeah. moments? What, as a double act, what has been the best moments for you both? Or just individually? It's like, what, if you could have you loved it? Or could have hated it? It's all good. Yeah. That's, well... I'll tell you what, that's... What, what would be an interesting thing... Which I don't imagine we've ever looked at, because obviously I think if we were to talk about the best moments,
2: the chances are they're going to be shared. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting thing to to think of where maybe we had different. I don't know. Like, it's a double act. I don't know how you can have profoundly different attitudes. Obviously, you can, one of you could have a better night than the
3: other in terms of literally how you're feeling within yourself. Yeah. But in terms of the two of you making an event. Well,
2: that becomes a shared event, so it, it would be really weird to.
1: A <laughs> It'd be I quite. Think odd. It break, to me, it breaks down into different stages as well because I think I look at the what we've done in, in kind of three sort of parts I guess there was the first part when we were doing the comedy circuit in London before yeah. we got the job on TV and we took we were taking you know, although we were daft and silly we took our comedy very seriously as comedians do should do you know yeah. and we always wanted to do a good gig and I think on the nights when we did do good gigs I mean they, were, they usually went really well but you know I think you can't beat that feeling of just walking upstairs and having done a really
2: good gig and there's a lovely uh, feeling in the room and uh, I think those were, were some real high moments even though they were just small rooms above a pub maybe and we maybe got five quid each as a door split you know we were we were uh, I used to cycle home at the end of gigs um, you know just really sort of floating on and some kind of high really and I wasn't high, that was just, it was a comedy high. have yeah, yeah. the go. The weirdest thing is, we, I, I think there was a period where we both would cycle to gigs, we did lots of cycling, but we'd have to cycle to gigs with, our, our, our early gigs were quite prop setting. <laughs> we had loads of props, yeah. so you'd have to cycle to gigs with kind of things like buckets balanced on handlebars, and, and there was, <laughs> I think we, we had a big plastic fish to, to, <laughs> to the side of the bike or something, it yeah. was quite crazy. We were quite prop heavy with our comedy. We did a lot of visual stuff
1: and we used to recreate. A lot of our comedy was recreating big epic stuff into small things, so buying little props. Um, I was talking about it earlier, you know, there was a whole thing when you used to go to the cinema um, where, where the whole adverts were, were, were brought by a company called Pearl and Dean and there was a particular kind of music and you sit down and they'd have like uh, adverts for local Chinese restaurants or, or for, you know, little local car car garages. and it was all kind of very local and, and a bit kind of poor quality. Yeah. And, and then there were bigger things as well, like big adverts for, for cigarettes and, and, and alcohol. And creating what you saw on big screen entertainment but live with little props and uh, you know so it was good fun and our the whole you know we'd recreate the music just with our voices
3: and power of our voices and, and, and holding up little cardboard signs and there was a big advert at the time when you used to be a of show cigarette advertising in cinemas where um, you know, there was this big epic advert where you saw the river thames and cranes and, and monuments and and suddenly there was this big archaeological thing being
2: lifted out of the water of all gold and it was actually just a massive p- packet of bags and bags of cigarettes and, and uh, the important thing about this advert as well is that it, it was made for real you know it wasn't there wasn't special effects anything they, they literally had this massive massive package of cigarettes that were pulled out of the thames. and then were hosed down by, you know, those kind of boats with fire boats, fire water. It was kind of clean. You know, so it was all done for real. It was massive. Yeah. And so, and so basically, we wanted to. We were
3: recreating everything from that little sort of start of the film thing. and So with our version of it was a red plastic bucket and a kid's plastic fishing rod, and we would kind of wind it up, <laughs> do the music,
1: and then slowly a, a
3: real packet of cigarettes
1: would just appear, beer And just what we would do is mimicking the
2: fireboat. We'd clean them. We we'd use water pistols. We'd squirt water at it. Yeah, we yeah, kind of, And, and, and yeah. I remember the music as well, so it was meant to be like it was meant to be like the discovery of the
3: the, the obelisk or the monolith in two thousand and one. So yeah. the music was a spraxaragustra, the, the <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> And That just
0: cigarettes popped it up.
2: <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I, I, I must check it out, but I bet that you could find that advert on YouTube if they were watch watching.
0: Oh definitely. That I've I've not seen it before, but like even the idea of it in a comedy club sounds absolutely brilliant. The idea of that whole big production for that is just that's what uh, it's so all about. Fun. So when those nights went well, I think that you can't beat that, really, that feeling of, And Because in all, you know you're dealing with something, that you're trying to portray something that you want the audience to recognise, because you're only going to get a laugh if yeah. they recognise what you're doing, and the reveal of that packet of facts at that point is going to get a laugh. And when it did, like with all the other bits we did, it was just a great feeling, so
2: they were always good. But then also we did TV... <laughs> and we did theatrical touring so I was going to just say about the uh, other uh, one. I, I, you know, one thing, I'm just thinking Trev which I, I can't remember the gig too well but like in terms of not good memories and certainly oh. where I can't separate them, where I, can, yeah. where I can relate it more to me than most probably to Trev, although I think it was both of us doing it, but it was when we did a, a, a comedy gig at a university and there was a drunken student who just wouldn't shut up through what I was just trying to do. It was heckling. It was, yeah. just, it was a friend, you know. But he made it tolerable. It wasn't like someone... It wasn't like... I mean, all comedians have died, you know. We've, we've done gigs where we've died. You know, that happens. But this was a friend deliberately fucking up an event. And I was... I was livid afterwards, I remember. Yeah. And I've never... It's... <laughs> it is most probably the one time in my life when I should have punched someone by dinner. And... <laughs> uh, we used to have, um, we used to have music playing for some of our bits, and I had a small kind of portable stereo thing, it was yeah. like, you know, it was a cassette radio thing, with, and it had this huge one big speaker on the side, it wasn't even a double one, but it was it was my way of playing music, it was the only thing I had, and it had been quite expensive, and I was so livid after this gig and the way it'd gone that I kicked it across the floor, which broke it, and then I actually kicked it all the way down the street and all the way back to the park. Because it had broken, I was so annoyed at it being broken, I just broke it.
1: That wasn't a good night, no, I remember that. <laughs> it, it was very up and down all that time. I mean, if i going to go on a lot of bad nights, I mean, another thing, well, after we'd um, done our time on the uh, <laughs> London Circuit, we were about to do our first Edinburgh show. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we were really pleased with our. It was involved all the cinema Pearl and Dean stuff and this yeah. and it was going well. And when we were actually in Edinburgh, the show we did a, a midday show. Rather. All the most of the other comics were doing midnight, and yeah. midnight shows. So we went for doing mid, midday, and as such, it was like the breakfast show for a lot of people. So you know they were getting yeah. up, and dragging themselves along to see us. Uh, but we managed to sell out a lot of the shows, and we did really well. So we were on a bit of a high, and we were doing the show then as a promotion in one of the uh, student or fringe club buildings or yeah. something, and we were doing a gig. And um, one of the one of the routines we were doing as part of the recreation of the cinema experience were the public information that uh, inf- used uh, <laughs> to go out. And there was one about uh, uh, people looking after their stuff while they were sat in the cinema. And there was an announcement that sort of went, ladies, please take care of your handbags. And there was a little kind of animated snake that went kind of through the cinema picking up all the handbags <laughs> <laughs> so so, so, how do we recreate that well we sort of said you know, ladies please take care of your handbags and then Simon would do this thing which which was kind of you know uh, a different take and we'd go gentlemen please look after you no please take care of your big bunch of keys and uh, it was like a uh, I don't know what it was, but it was just funny at the time. It was fashionable that all the people, guys, would have these big bunches of keys. But it was also a kind of comment. <laughs> we, we were, yeah, exactly. We were trying to make some points about stereotyping uh, the genders. The, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So there we were doing this routine. that We were really pleased we with it. always got a good laugh, big bunch of keys, and we were waiting for the laugh. And, and suddenly this voice from the crowd just went, comedians. Please take care of your material. And we kind of went, oh, that's a bit odd. What's going on there? And suddenly we were being heckled by this quite aggressive character who turned out to be um, a comedian, and quite a, a, a well-known comedian on the circuit. And, um, he, and we can work it out. So he's sort of a bit like the story. So we've talked about the and made. He then sort of went on to slightly sabotage the rest of our
2: set by shouting out stuff and, and kind of being quite derogatory about the material we were doing, as if we'd stolen all his material. Uh, and we have um, also I did just, you know, we won't have to name names here, but there's another comedian on the circuit at the time, and quite well known one, yeah. uh, came up to us actually on another day you warned us in the street went oh such a body is going around saying you nicked his act you know so we had this warning from another comedian saying like oh he's saying you nicked his act but he was livid that night and actually our friend Simon Bly who's all uh, been at the same time a comedian and a much more um, Martial arts trained comedian than either of us. <laughs> he actually, he actually had to use his martial arts training to stop this guy from having a go at us. This guy was going to get violent with us. Yeah, you know, because because he thought. We'd the uh, so what happened was we'd developed this idea by going to the cinema in Manchester. I mean, me and Simon went to the cinema all the time when we were students. You know, yeah. we'd go in the middle of the day and see whatever films were on, or the David Cronenberg horror films, or whatever it was. And so, you know, we developed this act through going to the cinema, and it just completely independently.
1: But of course, this guy down in London, obviously he was going to the cinema too, and it was fair game, he was doing a similar act. But he was convinced that we'd nicked it, so when we arrived... In a place where, you know, Manchester and London comedians were doing the same stuff. Oh, in, well, the, he was a comedian from Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes
2: well,
0: your think feet, you think,
1: doesn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, there you go. But anyway, so that, but then then that was over the then Years you, later, years later, 20, 30 years
2: later, I was um, with my mate Simon, Simon Bly, stand-up comedian, yeah. doing gigs, and I just went with him to the gig to watch. And this comedian was on the same bill, so uh, I kind of, you know, I don't forget these things easily. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. it, it... And twenty or thirty years ago, <laughs> yeah. this comedian had said, you know, the weed and extra on his act. So I was quite nervous about the idea that he was on the same bill. Yeah. And
3: I said to Simon, "No, go on, I'll come along. I'll have a few words." You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Simon, you know, such a body yeah. uh, and then he went like, oh, I don't know, we met And I said, yeah, 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 we've met you. Um, about 30
0: years ago, you said, uh, you know, you, you accused us of thinking your act. And he just went like, oh, yeah, sorry, mate, I was mad back then. <laughs> 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 That's such a, yeah, sorry, I was angry about that, but I kicked off. Really? <laughs> <laughs> is that the ultimate comedy trait, though? Like, you ask a comedian what was your best moment, and it will be dying in a place somewhere. It'll never be like when you stormed it to thousands of people.
2: Well, but, but the, thing is, the thing is, the default setting has to be, they're all great moments. That's, you know, you're, you're in the business of entertaining people. Every gig should be fantastic. Yeah. So, so, in a way, that should be the default setting. It's a bit like comedians who can have, you know, you can be you. You could be kind
0: of headlining a station where like the Hammersmith Apollo or whatever it's called, they say. you could be looking out over a couple of thousand people and the one you'll notice is the one who's never smiling. Yeah, never it's exactly <laughs> and that. It's kind of... And they stay in your dreams and in your thoughts and every time you have a bad gig, that'd be the one thing that like pops into your mind halfway through yeah. the night. True. That it's one true. woman who worked out all the punchlines to be gags when I'd only been going three gigs. Obviously. <laughs> I I see it. <laughs> oh But what what are the highlights? It's like do you know what? I was thinking, today I found I've got this cassette box and I've had it since I was six years old. I used to collect them off the PG tips. And there was a Jasper Carroll uh, one and there was a and there's a Travan Simon Live yeah. I've still got it. I've yeah. I I can grab it for yeah. you now if you want to see it.
2: I was sorting through some stuff and I found my one of it just a few weeks back and I I have the cassette still on the box
0: of two on the tea bags and the
2: tea bags haven't been opened, <laughs> twenty six years old. So I put it on eBay and raised money for charity for, for the. Cha- I work for a charity called MediCinema Yeah. So I put the cassette and the tea bags on eBay and sold them for MediCinema and raised one hundred and five quid for MediCinema Oh, well done! Most expensive tea bags ever. <laughs> <laughs> but but what a cassette
0: though? Like the, the... Well, you, well, that's a good that's a good thing to pick up on in the sense that. What what. Seem like kind of a comedy, it seems a daft
2: thing. But we, we, I mean, firstly, it was for comic relief, so it was yeah. a good thing to do. But secondly, we got kicked out or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it was, it's really exciting When, you look, at the, when yeah. you look at the company we were in, the other cassettes, people like Peter Cook, you know, I think what was even Richard
3: Pryor, a oh.
0: right? you know, they were quite amazing. Oh, I've got them all. Because, like, I was obsessed with comedy when I was young. So the other one was Jasper Carrots 24 Karat Gold, Black Hadder 2. Uh, the Richard Pryor and the Peter and Dudley Moore one, which I don't think is the clean version. listed back. <laughs> oh well, you know,
1: because they were the laughing stock ones, weren't they? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, that, that that was a company that was formed by our manager at the time, who's sadly not with us now, but oh, he right. loved say that, because that was his dream, he just, and he loved comedy, and he just wanted to get good comedy out there, and he, he
0: put together, although, you know, it was him and some other guys that got together and, and, and produced all those things, and made sure that the material got on, and did the deal with, with Comic Relief and all that, it was just, it was, but it was great, yeah, he would have being really chuffed that he said that, and collected the book well, it, as well. It, it changed, well, not to sound too X-Factory, but it did change my life, I remember Listening to that, and it was along the same time I saw Dominic Holland on the Des O'Connor show. I thought, and I said to me grandma, I said, I just want to do that, I want to do that for a living, I don't want to do anything right. else. And it just all those little bits, it makes it. Sometimes that ties into
2: when you say to us, What highlight! Uh, sometimes those highlights would be either getting some kind of acknowledgement from your peers or just existing in a world with them. You know, the fact that. Um, we we would do things like you know we'd be able to then go and hang around. Um, we, I, can't, I can't think of it was Big Greens Big Night Out, one of those shows. But where we just kind of fighting along, so we go and hang around yeah. because you know for a brief while you're working in the same circles as your heroes, you know. So like, I mean, for example, a Daft highlight. it just come from the TV period. But when um, when we came to the end of one of the series. Obviously we had to do sketches according to the guests who were booked. Yeah. And it was the end of the series, so we wanted to go out on a hive for this. And the guests who were booked were were fine for Saturday morning kids TV. But they didn't really give us much to play with. They weren't they weren't really yeah. good comedy guests. And we went to our boss and said we were able to get any other guests, would you let them come on? And he goes, Well, you can have a go if you like. So we actually got in touch with because we we met them and we knew them. The first thing we did was I think I gave Jonathan Ross a call. Oh wow. I said to Jonathan Ross, Would you come on and do our last sketch with us? And Jonathan Ross said Yeah, sure. And then he said, Do you mind if Vic Reeves comes along with you? (laughs) Then, (laughs) you know, we were able to go back to our boss and say, Oh, we've arranged Vic Reeves and Jonathan Ross to come on. Is that okay? And he goes, Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: fine. (laughs) That's fine. But it
2: is, And, you know, things like that were great. Being able to do all those kind of things and work with people like that. Meet some of our comedy heroes, you know, to do a sketch with um, Mel Brooks. To oh, meet wow. people like uh, Michael Palin, you know,
1: people from And, and it, even in the world of music, obviously, when we were doing Saturday morning TV, sometimes you would meet your big heroes. Yeah. Well, that's seems... it. Oh, for start. Right. <laughs> Do you remember uh, Randy Erwin? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, and Simon have got a bit of a guilty pleasure for country and western music, and, uh, and Randy Irwin was uh, a yodeling lasso wielding uh, country singer. And uh, I, got, I don't know. Well, I think the boss of um, going live and live kicking at the time, he loved country and western. I think that's the only reason he got on the programme because he, he was a, he was a strange choice for kids TV and big was... well, I mean, like Chris Bellator, our boss, was great for that because he.
0: the moment. so those are the real moments when you meet someone you look up to and you just have that realisation of I'm doing it I think that's been what I've learned like recently of going you know what just enjoy the ride it, it, don't look for the end of it because it's pretty damn good comedy if you're doing well at it which it is great there's no better feeling and as you were saying earlier the high there's nothing in this world that coming off stage that adrenaline that you get that little boost. Yeah. Like, you can't get that any other way. It makes up the opposite feeling, which is the feeling ten minutes before you go Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Picturing that woman in the audience yeah. again, heckling. A moment of terror. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh. And you just
0: don't want to come out of the toilet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. o- on a, on a brand-new Edinburgh show, and you think, I've rehearsed this a thousand times, but for some reason, none of it's staying in my mind at this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we were, yeah. like, it's quite funny because me and Simon obviously is a double act. Yeah. I mean, we we would rehearse stuff and we would go over it. Sometimes to the point where we drive each other mad. I think because we were in our own way, we'd be nervous in our own way. But we don't we want to know that we can remember the stuff. So we would find different ways of of helping to go over it.
1: But I think sometimes. The timing wasn't always was, was right for each of us, so we'd say, "Oh, should we go over the lines now? And go, Let's do it later." and Then sometimes we put it off, keep putting it off, and then, and, because it sort of made you anxious. So, uh, but eventually we did. But then usually you go on stage, and we both have probably forgotten the first line. Anyway, <laughs> something would happen. Someone would shout something out from the audience the minute you walked on, and you would then kind of take on a life of its so, own. But what we always
3: had, we always knew, we had that. That kind of, not the script as such, but we had that routine there yeah. to fall back on, and, and and we got and as time went on we got to slip into it when when we wanted to and it worked. But the other thing as well, and the thing about being a comedian is, and particularly a double act as well, where and a double act that's worked together for quite a while, is that. Obviously, things can go wrong. You
2: know, the audience is not laughing and so on. But actually, you can't really dry. You can't dry in the sense that you can in the theatre yeah. if you're doing a play. Because the point being, we're always talking rubbish. You know? So if we, if we get <laughs> something, something will happen. We'll recover it somehow or other. I mean, I think the people I'm most in awe of is like, is you know, God, I, you know, once, years back, I maybe thought, oh, I'd like to do some acting. The idea of learning a play
0: and then always being able to say those words as is, it's
2: kind of
0: terrifying, really. Same. You know, I mean, we, we, we could black our way through anything, but it's probably in the end, I guess. It really is, though. Like, I, I, think that's, I think that is a comedian trait as well. The thought of actually learning a set as a script terrifies me. Like it's that whole being able to go off and bounce off an audience. It just gives you that kind of yeah. thing, and I suppose it's a double act as well. Like when you've had a bad gig as well, you can you've got someone in the dressing room to go. Do you know what? It's all right, as opposed to yeah. just going over your own. It was a bit of a
1: safety net we had. You know, we, we always had to meet each other. So if there was, so if so one of us did say. Lose track of where we were going, you know. Then, then we knew the other one would pick up, or or you just like Simon said, you would bounce off things until something just kind of happened. And, and certainly, yeah, after the company we had for each other was really great because I think it can be a bit of a lonely business comedy yeah. stand up, and we we never really experienced that. I think you know there were times probably when, when Simon would have liked to have not had me around. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. no,
2: exactly. No, exactly. Um, No, when I was thinking about when we used the tour and stuff like that, the one thing that that is hopefully radically different for comedians now than it was in our day was that dreadful, horrendous thing of finishing a show, let's say the show finished by 10, Yeah. and at 10 o'clock, being in a fairly big town somewhere in the country and not being able to get any food,
3: it was the most (laughs) thing. it was the
2: worst thing (laughs) but <laughs> you couldn't get food or you couldn't get alcohol. You know, any any when you're on tour, around about eleven o'clock you need something good to eat, yeah. or you need to drink. And honestly, back in the days when we first started touring, places were dead. Places uh, hopefully that's a major change now. Hopefully now
0: have a problem finding somewhere yeah, it so doesn't bad. seem such a big deal now but there was a great moment when we were on the train back from Newcastle and we'd done a gig up there <laughs> and we got really we also had to run to get on the train and I think we maybe smuggled a few cans in with us that was fine but we didn't have any food and so we thought how are we going to get
3: food um, and it's, you know, it doesn't sound like a big deal now but then it was and, and uh, I think the person I wrote to tour manager with us had a mobile phone and um, and <laughs> Uh, yeah, because she had It's not like everyone even had mobile phones, You know, this no. is maybe a yeah. mobile phone. So they had a mobile phone, someone had a credit card, and we just said, look, why don't we just order a takeaway, and we'll pick it up and, you know, a few stations down the way. <laughs> and so we, we phoned up this Indian takeaway, and we said, look, we're on a train. We're it heading was towards, dream, wasn't, it? We're going to Crewe. And so we think, please, can you deliver, uh, you know, three whatever it was, uh, you know, a tank like
1: for uh, the train that's going to arrive in crew at this certain time, um, there's a, uh, we said we promise we'll, you know, we will be there, so... You know, I suppose it was us who was going to lose on the credit card, but sure enough, the train pulled into crew, It was a fantastic ghost <laughs> in there with this lovely uh, Indian mill all wrapped up. And he passed it through the doors It opened, we took it in, the doors shut, and we went on our way and enjoyed A lovely takeaway all the way back to London. Just nothing was- better. Do you know what? I think it was one of those fantastic things that became a communal experience because we were on a train
2: and everyone around the train sensed what was going on <laughs> so everyone everyone sat within the dinner, radius of us was willing this to work you
0: know? yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a
2: real exciting thing Were we going to get this food delivered was, you know would he be there and so this guy got a big round of applause from
0: everyone i think oh. it was kind of of achievement best curry ever i it was. And those are the moments, those are the moments, though, aren't they? That's what comedy really is. It's those things that people don't see. That whole getting an Indian takeaway on a train, it's brilliant. That's just, just mind blowingly good. Oh, Happy
3: that's what I mean about having having company a bit in a sense and as you go on tour I mean having gone from the, the the circuit where it was just me and Simon in small pubs to then have had the TV exposure on Saturday mornings it meant we suddenly could up our game in terms
1: of the venues we toured yeah. and so the first tour that our our manager Pete Brown who, who was behind the laughing stock cassettes he wanted to he said look you've got to get out and do some big theatres and we said well you know we've done the pubs now. So said no, get out and do a pop show he said I'd love to do a variety show. Oh wow. So um, he said, I want you, you and Simon obviously, you know, you two to do your your thing, but also uh, I want some other acts. So we had he he, he organised um, a juggler, Paul Morocco, who was big on the circuit at the time. Probably still is really, really good comedy juggler. Um, a band called Fat and Frantic, who were a, 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 sort of a, a Christian boy band, I think. Really. Yeah, they I were think kind of a, Christian skittle group. Yeah. So um, they. Very clever, our manager, because he said, "Right, they're massive on the, the Christian pop scene." <laughs> 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 that that pop- big cash
0: cow,
3: eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, was famous for being a Satanist. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then we had uh, Glass as well, that were a, a female um, kind of uh, Supremes tribute act, and so
2: they looked like Diana Ross and the Supremes and, and sang along to uh, backing tracks of, of those songs, which was just cool. So that was great. Okay. I don't know. No, I thought they were.
1: I thought they were just their own act. I thought they just had their own stuff. Uh, no. Oh no. my goodness. Oh. well, that's. I hope I'm not. I hope am not oh. them now, because i you know, they will obviously be listening now. <laughs> <laughs> they <feeling> were. <would>. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was, anyway, my point was that suddenly we went from, you know, even though we were each other in the company, we suddenly went out on this massive tour of the oh, country wow. with this show. That was like a big to edit it down it was three hours long and uh, it was like just mad because there was so much to try and pack in um, but it was really good fun and at the end as, as the Swing Your Pants characters we came we <laughs> out with for- <laughs>
0: time I change bedding, is I say I don't do duvets. But but my fiance doesn't get the joke, and it's just just something I say. But you know what? It makes you so happy as well. I just uh, love that vision. Statistically
2: of course, now, most duvets are kind of quite lightweight and you can stick them in your own mach- machine, I think. So, you know, it's less of an issue these days. Just drying
0: them after, though. Yeah. Getting them in a tumble dryer, that's... Just, you know, I, just know, go, the well, I just go to bed with my still wet. And oh! But right. <laughs> <laughs> We all have. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say, the highlight of... I think it was a show about... It was a Saturday morning kind of retrospective. And it was you doing those characters. This might have been 10, 15 years ago, and Chris Moyles was doing the duvet sketch with you. And the look on his—he was like a five-year-old meeting his heroes. And I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> he was I love Chris Moyles. He was very, very good at that. I mean, he really played it perfectly. Because obviously.
1: Know, there was a kind of script there, we did have to say it to before beforehand, we're gonna, we're gonna insult you, <laughs> gonna on it. And, and you know, he, he played along. In fact, he mentioned it. We were on the radio the other day when you were promoting your uh, medicine about uh, charity yeah. fundraising, and he, he, he remembered did so it. much. Yeah, and he did so much
2: promotion for that, it was amazing. He really helped me raise. Something like in the end, fifteen thousand pounds of wow. medicine, which was amazing. Um, coming back to that program you mentioned, though, it was called. It started with Swap Shop. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it back, but they reunited everybody from. So it's well, it started with Swap Shop. So Swap Shop Superstore going live, live kicking. Yeah. So it covered all of those presenters, and what's quite amazing, if if, if I was watching back, I'd watch out for this. I didn't know it at the time. But if you were to look at the relationships between all those presenters who crossed over from Swap Shop to Superstore and so on, particularly that era, there's all sorts of things going on between all those ones. And actually they got them all together in the screen room and there were people who would refuse to meet each other or speak to each other until they did it on air. (laughs) So if you
0: watch it on air, you You can can
2: see see this crazy tension. Because everyone
0: tries to build value with each other it's such a funny thing isn't it it's like I've I've well I've not worked in kids TV but I've done a few big summer shows with people from kids TV and it's just sometimes just over nothing like there's a feud with certain people that's lasted 20 years and you think
2: why what, what's well, worth it Fun, can't exactly. As I mentioned, with that comedian, we're not mentioning him from earlier. Yeah. You know, 20 or 30 years later, I reminded him
0: of having to go with us. It's nice. There's nice. Been a few with Simon.
2: Simon never forgets any encounters. There's been quite
0: a few. It's the best way to be. Simon <laughs> and most of, the, most of them I've, I've got over. Most yeah. of them I've kind of... You know, I've definitely mellowed in the last few years. I, I, I tried I mellowed, to. I mellowed over the comedian who compared us to Hitler. I mellowed over that. <laughs> <Hitler. Hitler. laughs> <Hitler. Hitler. Hitler. laughs> he was just trying to, you know. I was just trying to make a joke.
1: It was just a joke. It did a joke. He didn't really think we like Italy. Yeah. I get it. That's funny. It just makes me think now because he he said that and then another comedian. I can say this time in Fancher. <laughs> Do you remember when we went into um, ground shows one night? You know, it was the, the ground show club was the place to be in the nineties yeah. for comedians and stuff. And we both had, we both had full length um, brown leather coats for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> At that time, that they used to do all and people like Jack Dee and yeah. Lee Evans uh, would all go to this, um, this this shop in Soho and have their suits made. But there was also a guy based in Hong Kong who would come over to to London and he'd say, I'm in I'm in London for a while. Uh, if any of you comedians or whatever you know need some suits making, give me give me your details. And so um, he would do that. Uh, take all your measurements uh, pretty roughly and then go back to Hong Kong stuff.
0: Hitler, so it's fun.
2: They don't swing in their pants.
0: I've worked out who it is, I'm going to have to ask you afterwards, because... The
2: thing is, though, you know, he oh, made a funny out. joke. he made a funny joke and then went on to
0: produce some of the most, like, popular funny comedy <laughs> of, of all <laughs> the <most laughs> iterations. i am not to say it. i am got to say it. Did, pretty did pretty he later true. write The Death of Stalin by any chance or director? <laughs> To end it on, don't compare us to (laughs) it. There we go. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Thank you so much for this. This this has been a dream for me. There's an eight-year-old who's very excited right now. Me, I haven't got a son or anything, but there we we go. Just, just, and and just thank you for being just so nice and sharing your stories with me. I'll I'll just turn off the recording equipment. That was trevin simon there it was great to talk to two icons of british television i hope you enjoyed the stories i hope you heard some bits that you've not heard before and most of all i'm glad we got to share some stories from the circuit
3: see you on the next one